Welcome to the Wellness Panel, hosted by Midwest Aries in partnership with Mental Health Ireland. Each month we bring you a panel discussion on a range of mental health and well-being topics. Each webinar is recorded live and is available to view in full on the Midwest Aries YouTube channel. Hello everybody and welcome to our webinar this month. So today's topic is on clinical recovery and personal recovery in mental health. What's the difference? So we'll have a good discussion over the next hour on that topic. So I'm just going to do a little bit of an introduction on what's ahead over the next hour and how you can get involved in the Q&A section to ask questions throughout the webinar today. So my name is Killian and I am the Peer Education Training and Development Officer with Midwest Aries. And I suppose today's topic is going to ha- look at clinical recovery and personal recovery and mental health. We look at the differences, we look if they complement each other, and we look at a wide range of questions uh, throughout that will hopefully be guided by yourselves attending today's webinar. Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, uh, so a little bit about Midwest Aries, who we are and what we do. So we are the Midwest Recovery Education Service, and we cover the Midwest region in Clare, Limerick and North Tipperary. So we run workshops in online in the acute units and uh, face to face in the community as well. So the structure for today's webinar will be one hour. There'll be a panel discussion and we'll be able to well, introduce the panel in a couple of seconds there. Um, the Q&A button is at the bottom of your screen as well if you're on a phone or a laptop and you can input your questions now or start filter them, the questions in throughout the webinar so we'll be able to answer them throughout and we'll be kind of guided by you that are attending as well. This webinar is also recorded so it will be available on our YouTube channel and our uh, podcast stream as well on Anchor FM so that'll be on Spotify and all good pa- podcasting uh, streaming services as well. So I think I've covered everything. Um, I'd just like to invite the panelists now. I'll stop the share. And panelists, if you'd like to turn on your cameras and unmute, we might just do a round of introductions. So I've done my introduction. So uh, Lorraine, we might pass it over to you if that's okay. And you might just introduce yourself and say hello. Thanks a million. Hi, everyone. My name is Lorraine Octon. I am Assistant Director of Nursing here in the Adult Acute Psychiatric Unit in UHL. Um, I've been here 20 odd years. Um, delighted to be part of the conversation today. And that's kind of, that's me. Brilliant. Thanks, Millie Lorraine. It's great to have you here to share your knowledge and your insight and your experiences over the next hour as well. So much appreciated for taking the time to come on. Uh, Nikki, who might come to yourself. Thanks, Millie. Thanks, Killian. Uh, my name is Nikki Fallon. I'm a recovery education facilitator with Midwest Aries. Um, so I facilitate workshops online in psychiatric units and also within the community with my fellow facilitators as well. And um, I'm just really looking forward to this particular workshop. It is personal to me as well. I've had my own personal recovery through mental health. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Thanks, Killian. Brilliant, Nikki, and it's great to have you here as well to share your knowledge. So thanks a million. And Eileen, we'll come to yourself. Hi, Gillian. Hi, everybody. Um, my own name is Eileen Handley. And I'm a recovery education facilitator as well with the team here at Midwest Aries. And yeah, yeah, really looking forward to the discussion. Um, yeah, to see what comes out of it. I think there's different ideas on clinical recovery and personal recovery. And just looking forward to chatting among the panellists as well, but also seeing, um, I suppose, what the Q&A offers and just to see where the discussion goes. So, yeah, really looking forward to Killian. Thanks a million. 
Lovely. Thanks, Millie and Eileen. So we crack on, I suppose, with the first question. Um, so what do we understand by clinical recovery and personal recovery in mental health? So you may want to break it down into clinical first and then personal recovery after. And Lorraine, I'm going to go to you first, if that's OK, if you want to share your thoughts. Um, I suppose clinical recovery, like the, the word clinical and all that it, um, I suppose, conjures, is this is my interpretation that would be recovery from the symptom presentation that somebody I suppose if, if you're looking at it from my point of view makes it to the the unit with so whatever that looks like for the person it's sleep disturbances talk disturbances mood um the I suppose the dare I say the medical model kind of um stuff of when people are not well um would be my understanding of the clinical recovery Brilliant. And even the personal recovery, would you want to delve into that as well? Yeah, I think the personal recovery, and I suppose it would be for me the bit that I'd be more interested in because I think like everything, when you come, when you make it to an inpatient setting, um, again, you know, if if look, doctors, they, they have a huge part to play and I'm not negating that by any means. And the, res- the resolution of the clinical stuff is very important. Of course, it gets you back to, you know, where you are yourself. But the personal recovery, I think, is huge and I think it gets overlooked at. Um, And again, I suppose I would have alluded to this in my own feedback when I was asked to join. Um, Similar like that, I would have had my own bits with postnatal. And after the symptoms um, were gone, what I found was left was this this memory of them. And because, again, I'm a bit kind of... um, how would I say, anxious in my own kind of mindset around stuff. So I, I focused on that for nearly twice as long as the symptoms are actually there so my understanding of personal recovery would be I suppose what the clinical or what the episode if you want to call it that or what the what you were living with at that time maybe left you with or what you were kind of left either by yourself or with your support network working through um once the symptoms um had dissipated excellent Thanks, Lorraine. And thanks for sharing, because I think it's kind of what I got from that is trying to understand the different the experiences and learning for that going forward as well. So um, was anyone have any thoughts on kind of what Lorraine brought up there, uh, even on clinical and personal recovery? Did you have your own thoughts around like even what you think about in your own word? Uh, Eileen, I might come to you next. If that's OK. Thanks, Gillian. Yeah, I suppose, you know, in preparation for this webinar, I was looking, I suppose, at both. And then I suppose thinking of you know my own feelings on it and I suppose having worked in the mental health sector for a number of years but also have my own experiences of anxiety that has led to episodes of depression that I suppose I'm at odds sometimes with there's such a crossover really between clinical recovery and I suppose I suppose it's kind of like it's naming it the clinical side of of what what this is and then what do you do with that you know in your daily living your daily life and I suppose for me the personal is so important but that personal then it's it's so unique to every single person and I suppose I take bits from you know self-help books bits from you know obviously professionals colleagues all of that but I suppose I've realized I suppose in my own journey I suppose to my own mental health is that I have to be specific to myself and my own needs and that's going to be very different for everybody that's on the panel and sometimes you know, you have discussions maybe with professionals or, you know, your GP or something. What you say in a day can be a snapshot of how you're feeling on a particular day and it does encompass, you know, all your personality. 
So I think for me, personal recovery, it's it changes, it changes. It changed when I was in my 20s, my 30s, now my 40s. And it looks very different. And I suppose it's ongoing. It's something that I realise I have to work on and constantly do the work, Killian. And I suppose research, perhaps I love, you know, what people are saying now and what that looks like. And for me as well, I suppose, just to finish up on my point is, I think for me, spiritual recovery is kind of important in that as well, that um, nourishing your spirit. And I suppose what I mean by that is, that we are also individual and you know what makes someone's spirit joyful you know it could be music it could be writing it could be poetry it could be art I suppose healing to all of those aspects to me is spiritual recovery and personal recovery so thanks Gillian. Lovely thanks Millian I, I really like that like kind of what got a caption that was like the ever-evolving process the journey uh, and trying to learn as much as you can and like spirituality was for you and everything else that you learned through that so really good thanks William Nikki might come to yourself if that's all right What's yeah I would have to definitely agree with Eileen there um, it is a never moving thing it really just personal recovery clinical recovery is a kind of for me is about getting you from A to B and then and then handing over um, but then I, I also think that there's a place an important place for both um, so I do think that sometimes with a lot of cases and you see this Lorraine sometimes the personal recovery is impossible without the clinical because you know sometimes you need the clinical just to get you to a place where you can then start putting in the work and you know personal recovery for me is very much about empowerment it's about me taking ownership over my own recovery managing it getting my identity back um putting in the work as Eileen was saying researching and just taking you know taking control of it whereas clinical is when you are given that control not fully, but you are handing over a lot of that power or control to the professionals. So there, but there is a place for that. Um, but there's also a place where you have to realise that the professionals can only do so much and the clinical side can only do so much when then you have to start to take over um, when, the, when the symptoms have been alleviated. Lovely. Thanks, Millie Nikki. I like that because you kind of mentioned about taking ownership because I think we have the control in our own lives to do our best and I suppose do what we can each day it's for our own self-care and our mental health and well-being and yeah I really liked what you summed up there on the ownership part of things any additional thoughts on our follow-ups on the on the answers given by any of the panelists or will we move on to the next question we all okay um Killian, sorry just very quickly I suppose just to I suppose what Eileen and Nicola are saying around um I think there's a, a like I think how to say this like when we're trying to, as you say, regain our own sense of self in whatever shape or form that takes, like say with Eileen be it a spiritual thing or, you know, our identity and empowerment. I think this, if, you know, if you have that support structure, it's almost this, the, like permission isn't the right word, but the saying out loud of that, you're not going to get that um, reciprocated in everybody you meet in that journey. And sometimes that's very, um, you kind of end up being very like Jesus like I'm trying to explain myself to this person and they don't get it and I I think that was again if, if just my own situation I think where I was waiting for someone to like get it and they they couldn't get it because like I suppose like what you're saying Eileen because they weren't me and they weren't 
living um i suppose the way you'd be living or you know and you get these kind of blanket statements that people come out with or that you should be this or you should be that or don't you know that or don't you know this and i suppose just i think we we need to in whatever way support structure you can have or whatever access you can have to to have somebody who's going to be that sounding board for you that like look if you're waiting for the doctors or even the nurses or whoever to maybe fully and wholly understand what you're saying that might never come and rather than staying in a place of tormentation about that that like well look I know what my own truth is and I know I suppose what it is I'm trying to get back to and I just have to as you say pick out the bits and pieces of whatever it is in my life again be it exercise or music or whatever but that gets me to that place if that makes sense absolutely absolutely but I think just to get the learning from that what would help people kind of build that person or that sounding board in a person to help them on the recovery? And you can all come in on this, Nikki and Eileen as well. What do you think would be the first step for someone who may be experiencing difficulties to feel that they're not being like understood, maybe is the word? What could they do in the moment to get that support? I might come in there, Killian, if that's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, for me and my experience, and I had a very similar experience, Lorraine, you know, where you're left with that kind of what now kind of and you're left with this. I'm supposed to be better, but really, I still feel I'm not I, you know, I'm halfway there, really. Um, but for me, the turning point was where I just started to not hide behind my diagnosis or my illness. And I started to be completely real and honest with my close people. Um, so people I needed and also being able to identify who are people I actually need and who are people who maybe aren't having such positive effect on me right now? You know, who, who am I, who's taken my energy, who's given me energy, you know, and focus on the people who genuinely don't appear to be judging you in that moment and people who you feel you can be real around and you don't need to have 10 close people. All you need is one or two really, I think. And if you can use those people as a sounding board and just start really trusting them, and when you trust in them and be real and honest with them, then you'll get that back. That's my experience of it anyway. Lovely. Thanks, Eileen. Or Nikki, sorry. Eileen, I was going to say, do you want to come in there? Um, yeah, Killian, just, um, I suppose just on a practical thing, something I do, I, you know, you were kind of asking about maybe, you know, a starting point. And um, I'm a big fan of kind of mood boards or kind of just those vision boards of, you know, sometimes we don't know what to say or, um, you know, myself and Nikki, you know, just before, you know, we're lucky enough to have people in our lives, but I suppose in our work, we get to go in, I suppose, into spaces and places where people actually don't have maybe people in their lives. And I suppose one thing I would do is just do a mind map, you know, you're in the middle, you know, what, what, what am I struggling with? What are my needs? Like looking at kind of, I suppose, at all your dimensions and kind of saying, well, actually, where am I low in? Is it social support? Is it, uh, you know, economic? You know, what are all those things? What's going on? You know, sometimes what I suppose I generalise with my own mental health journey, I suppose, is that um, even my physical health has such an impact on my mental health. I think for the longest time, let's say when I was going through an episode of depression, I kind of, I was trying to heal my mind, I suppose. This is my best way of trying to put it and I'm kind of forgetting that like I am, I am my mind and my body. So I suppose just to kind of look at, um, and I saw there was a question there about the holistic supports, you know, that we are, we are more than some of all our 
parts. We are, we are a body, we are a mind, we are our actions. And just on a practical tool, just to write everything down, um, massive fan of journaling, just to write down, or even, I know sometimes maybe if, you know, there's issues even around writing, but even just to cut out magazines and pictures and look at what do I need right now? What's missing in my life? And trying to fill in those gaps and just finish killing as well. I often, something's always supported me when I was a young person, I suppose, struggling anxiety and depression, that I always went to my journal. And I suppose I would just say to people to lean into what helped them when they were young um, and to focus on that, because often that can be a real support in kind of finding finding the answers and finding the way out. So I just wanted to add that as well. Thanks, Gillian. Lovely, lovely. Thanks, Millie and Eileen. Lorraine, do you want to come in or are you happy enough with? Yeah. All good. Perfect. Thanks. Brilliant insight so far. So I think we might move on to the next question. And it's kind of overlapped a little bit um, on the clinical and personal recovery. Can they work together and can you have one without the other? So if anyone, maybe Nikki, do you want to come in on that one? Yeah, all right. Next million, we'll go around again. Yeah. Thanks. I think definitely they can work together, as I was saying, sometimes depending on what you're going through. Uh, one is necessary to give you a leg up to get to the other. But at the same time, I do think we underestimate the power of personal recovery. And I do think that sometimes we leave it till it gets so bad where clinical is needed, then personal. But I, I do think that I think that definitely personal recovery can happen on its own. I don't think clinical in my own experience, I don't think clinical can happen. I don't think you can come fully back and thrive as a person without personal recovery as well as clinical. So I don't think clinical can survive alone, but I do think personal can. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks, Nikki. Uh, Lorraine, do you want to come in on that one? Yeah, I suppose 100% I'd um, we're weighing behind that, Nicola, in that, again, you know, absolutely, if it comes to a place of where you need, you know, intervention with regards to um, the clinical aspect, 100%, you know that if that's what you need and exactly like you say there's a time when if you know things are quite um bad at the time you're not able to hear the information you're not able to live the stuff that you were able to do before and so yes the clinical recovery has to happen um the ideal of course and what we would be striving for i suppose here with my nursing team and like with the you know with aries coming in and that presence um, being so embedded now in our culture here as well and building the capacity with people to hear both to, okay, so look, there's a, there's a time for the conversation around the medication. There's a time for, you know, listening to the expertise of the doctor. However, it's, it has to run along parallel with what is the person saying, where are you at at that moment in time? What are you able to do in that moment? And take those, again, it's all the language that you hear that you could become nearly desensitized to, but it's to bring us back to it and be mindful of how, how true the, the, those words are. They're like, what can you, what are the small wins you can get today? And building on those. And in a week's time, the personal recovery looks different than it did last week. And, you know, um, that, I suppose natural return to where you are yourself and what you know. I actually feel like myself today. I'm not, you know, or I felt like it in the first part of the day and look, okay, it's a bad hour and I'll get it back. And those, even those conversations with yourself that you're, I think you had a key word, um, Nicola, going back when I think about it, about the honesty and about the being honest with ourselves, that to say, like, I know myself what my baseline is. I know myself when 
I go from being a completely rational human being to irrational where I'm like, I now can't reason as easy as I did, you know, two days ago and sleep is the core of it. I know that. And I, there's times when you can choose to ignore that and like, Oh, look, I'll plow on. And then you get the fallout of it, but it's that honesty with ourselves. Um, but you can get all the information as you say, you want your own clinical stuff, but if you're not, um, I suppose, willing to hear it, take it and then use it with your own, um, personal stuff. As you say, they, they have to work, uh, side by side, I think. Brilliant. Thanks a million, Lorraine, for that insight as well because there's a question that kind of ties on to or even yeah a question that came in on the Q&A and Eileen I'll come to you then on the, the other question if that's okay um so I'll just read it out I believe it has to come from the person with the right support I feel the issue is helping the person to find what will work for them find their joy and peace it's hard for a person to work this out uh with what they usually find joy or what normally helps them won't work in the midst of their illness how do you change this so does anyone want to come in on that one maybe Eileen, if you want to come in yeah absolutely thank you um i think for me killing i suppose my mind went straight back to i suppose probably one of my worst episodes of depression and i thought actually in around that time i wasn't enjoying anything my normal support i wasn't enjoying but I just needed to mind myself as in physically, as in just to keep eating, you know, accept day by day routine and discipline. Um, and yeah, I was fully aware of what I was going through. And I suppose to answer the questions like, how do you do that? I would say sometimes it's just time. Um, the person might want that answer. But like I knew and I suppose I know enough about my mental health now that if I am experiencing an episode I actually just almost have to survive it but my mentality has changed I suppose my mindset that actually now I will get through it but it will take time and I suppose one thing I realize at the moment is rest is so important and I suppose what I mean by rest is you know like for me it's it's turning off the phone it's it's being in nature it's doing but it's literally a reset and I think sometimes when someone's going through obviously um, an episode whatever it may be or whatever you know diagnose a person has is I'll just honor that at the time because sometimes things just don't work and actually it's just about minding yourself through it um, and actually for me when I was going through those episodes I didn't really want to talk to people I knew what I was going through I knew myself what I was experiencing I was journaling every day I was trying to have a healthy breakfast and just getting through it so I knew that when I came out, at least when I was kind of minding my body, I still get my walks in. And I would say, I suppose there is no panacea for everything. It literally is doing what you need. I suppose, especially um, we're so lucky that we get to go into the APUs and both Limerick and Ennis. And I suppose in that work, I've realised to my own, like sharing our story, you know, week on week, that actually sometimes you just have to go through it to come out the other side. And actually just being supportive and actually some I'm getting better actually at saying I just need a bit of time and actually and I'll come back to you. And I think actually sorry, communication is so important when you're going through that. Um that actually now I have the words to say, I just need some time to get through this. I'm fine. Um and I'll be back when I need you. Because I some you know, we have a planning for discharge module. And I suppose in that I think the pointers are so good. It's like what do you need right now? What does that look like? And if you can identify those needs, I think 
I suppose I hope I'm answering the question that, you know, if you're saying things aren't working and you're not in the midst of it, okay, maybe that's okay. Maybe they're not working now, but it doesn't mean they'll never work. And just to kind of honour how you're feeling. So this was just my thoughts, Killian. I hope that answers the question. That's excellent. That's excellent, Eileen. Thanks, Melinda. I just love the communication piece you mentioned. And I think just to tie on to Nikki's word, honest communication to the people that are with you and supporting you, you know, and he said, go through it to come out the other side. And that's so important. We're in the midst of something. It's hard to see the light at the end of the other side. But I think you just kind of have to have that self-awareness around it and just knowing what works now may work in a day or two days or a week later as well. So that's really good. So does anyone else want to come in on that point on the the question? Nikki, yeah, you're unmuted. I'll let you. Yeah, I might. uh, Just on the on the joy piece that that person mentioned about finding joy and maybe, you know, how do you get that back? For me, I definitely found and my experience was that I thought I would never have joy again. I thought I would never laugh again. I didn't remember what it felt like to laugh. And I suppose we had the creativity workshop yesterday in Ennis in the APU there. And just because it's fresh in my head, I think that for me, I think that's where I started to realize that joy was possible by doing things that were creative. It might just be for a a moment. There was glimmers of it there. Um, So through creativity, I started to get little pieces of joy back. Um, and then that just built over time. And also what I did is made me realize I, ca- I can have joy. I will have joy again. It's not huge now. It doesn't look like it used to, but it will happen because I can see little glimmers of it. And another thing I used to do, I just spoke about it yesterday. I used to make photo books just as a project uh, to keep my mind off of everything. But through doing those, I could see me in those photos having, you know, experiencing true joy. And, you know, it was a nice reminder to me that, that this person is capable of that. And, you know, a reminder that I can, I can be experience that kind of joy again in the future. You know, so that's, I suppose, when things are really bad and you, you can't see joy. For me, that's where it came from. Brilliant, Nikki. Do you think it's important to kind of document that kind of stuff? I know journey, Nikki or Eileen, you mentioned journaling as well. But to look back on that a year later, two years later and understand or learn that I was in this point in my life where it was really bad and now look where I am. I'm in a much better place. Do you think it's important to kind of document that kind of stuff from time to time? Either Eileen, Nikki, either come in. Oh, Eileen, you're the journaler. I'll let you take it. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Um, well, actually, I'm going to share a real story about my journals because um, it only happened last week. Um totally honest um my anxiety has been off for the last few weeks and I was thinking oh what's going on here and I suppose because we do this work every day um I was thinking oh okay you know trying to pinpoint but anyway I sat down I I suppose just to share I've 56 journals written and I started in 1991 um but I just sat down and I was just looking at my journals and this one journal I was like I just picked it up and it literally was the journal that I had started on the Camino and the first page was um, discipline, um, do your mantras, um, you know, set your intention, um, enjoy the day. And it was so funny. I did smile at myself and think, okay, I have, when things are going well, and I, I tend to drop all those protective factors, um, because I'm doing well and life is great. Um, but then I realize they're the things that actually keep me well. So I suppose my journals are, they're like my own self-help books because they remind me of, you know, times that were very, very dark. Um, you know, 
two teenagers, you know, all those changes in life, but also to, to realise the commonalities. And I suppose on, on Nick, sorry, Nicola, we call her Nikki, <laughs> on Nicola's point, um, you know, I, I see my journey through that, you know, as someone who's now into my 40s and who's always struggled with mental health, um, that they are such a reminder that I have come through so much. And now that we get to work in this area, and I have to say, I just love working with Midwest Aries because we are allowed to be authentic self. We are allowed to bring our authentic voice to mental health and we're allowed to actually share our vulnerabilities. And I think that's where the change comes. And I think that's, for me, why journaling has been so important in my recovery because, you know, I've been journaling since I was 13, 46 now. So I can see that journey. And I know when I'm having the worst day and I'm feeling like I don't want to talk to anyone I don't even want to do this or that I'll get through it and it, yeah I can't emphasize enough and I know I'm just such a proponent of journaling but it's whatever works for you you know if it's you know little voice notes to yourself if it's as Nikki said if it's the photo books if but just that documentation piece for me has been really valuable um in my own mental health recovery Killian. Super. That's excellent, Eileen. Um, I kind of signal it was okay there, I think. Um, that's brilliant because I think that having that insight about journaling really helps because people might start it after this conversation. So that's excellent. Uh, any points on that before we go on? There's a comment in the Q&A and I just want to get to it. Are we all okay to continue on? Yeah, all good. So this is, we are in agreement that both clinical recovery and personal recovery overlaps. However, this is not always obvious to people and takes time to figure out. I see my doctor and also work on myself. One doesn't follow the other and we can see true past experiences. So it's just thank you from the group. We appreciate the honesty of the panel today. So that's just a comment. So that's that's brilliant. So thanks a million for that. I'll move on to the next question. Um, and the question is, what are some potential barriers or challenges to clinical recovery, if any? And Lorraine, will I pass it to yourself or will I give you a moment? Barriers to clinical recovery. Yeah, barriers or challenges um, to clinical recovery, if any at all. I think the, and it, it go back to my original, I suppose, comment on personal recovery and really pick it up on what the ladies said in the last bit. It's that it's not a linear thing. And so sometimes when you feel that you maybe need to go back to and again, my understanding of clinical recovery being, let's say, medical model stuff, you know, be it doctor or whatever, that that's, again, there's a disappointment nearly. Like what, you know, what is after happening now that I'm here again? Or, um, and like say, like with the two ladies were saying in the last section, uh, it, it is a life, um, you're learning constantly. Again, that journey, again, I find for so many years now talking about different bits and pieces and I get kind of worried that language becomes um, almost desensitized and, you know, loses its meaning because it's, it's repeated and repeated. But journey is, it, the word is so powerful in that it is not a linear thing. It is not, I got well, I stayed well for a day. I never again had a bad day. I never again was unhappy or I never had, you know, a bad thought again. It doesn't work like that because be it that, you know, someone has has a diagnosis or, um, you know, something 
has been said around you you know you're living with this now we don't escape poor mental health anybody in the world because like it's just the way the world is at the moment and I think that that's one of the things that stops maybe the clinical thing is that sense of god like why am I back here again I did you know I did this and I did that and I did the stuff I was supposed to do and a bit like what you were saying Eileen it's not it's almost like you know, the studying for an exam and you study really hard and you do the exam and you think it's over. And you're like, oh no, I have to keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, and that in itself sometimes can be like, oh, just like, you know, worn out from it all. Um, and that's again where you need the honesty, where you need to go, today is just a bad day. I just have to leave it at that and not be, you know, killing myself that it's a bad day or forcing myself now to be doing all kinds of things so that, you know, I, I should be able to do this and kind of shooting all over ourselves again. Um, so in a long rounded way, <laughs> sorry, I'm not being very um, articulate, but I think that that's what, what happens sometimes. It's like, I don't want to go into that day hospital. I've been three months now or six months, or I don't want to go to my GP and have to say this again. Or, And sometimes as you say, then we delay nearly getting ourselves um, maybe back on track because we're a bit maybe like, oh, I'm annoyed now that that happened. Thanks, Melina. That is brilliant. And I'm just going to do a follow up question and this is thrown out to the, the whole panel. What can help people, I suppose, in that moment when they, they have a bad day and they think, I suppose, things aren't working, things aren't going the way it's planned. Um, I don't want to go to my appointments or do anything at all. What can people do when they feel that way in the moment, like have the support network or have you any other additional tips or things people can do when they can't? I suppose verbalize something and just feel stuck in the rut or in that moment. Uh, if anyone's on Nikki, do you want to come in on that one? Maybe. I think that um, um, sounding board, as Eileen was saying earlier, like having somebody, even just one person who you can share that with, because the more you stay in your head when you're in that dark hole of not wanting to go to your appointments, don't want to see anyone feel stuck the feeling of stuck is the worst it is the worst feeling you can't see how you're going to ever get out of this quicksand and all if you just share that with even just one person a one person who maybe try not to go to someone who's going to try and fix it for you because i think we're we're in a culture of trying to fix everything immediately everything needs to be fixed straight away and you go to somebody and they want to fix it they want to give you solutions and sometimes that's not what you need you just need to say, I feel stuck now. I don't want to go to my appointments. And you want to, you want someone to hear that and just say, that's okay. You know, but I do think support is the biggest thing you can have when you're feeling like that. I really like that, Nikki. And it kind of reminds me of something where it's no, it's no bother sitting in silence with someone if they're struggling and they share something and just not, like you said, not trying to fix or find the answers to all the problems. I think sitting in silence is powerful and just reflecting and letting the person offload so thanks for sharing that does anyone else want to come in on that on the question um Eileen do you want to Lorraine either either yeah yeah sorry Eileen yeah. God, sorry just quickly on what yeah. you said there exactly that and it, we all know somebody maybe who either well-meaning or otherwise has that almost toxic positivity of you know ah look, aren't you great aren't you here aren't you but all of that kind of stuff where you just feel more alienated like as I say, be it well-meaning or not, you know, intention and outcome isn't always the same. And just, again, to be mindful of who those are in our lives. Because, look, a lot of the time there are people that might be in your close circle and that, as they don't mean to be 
doing the wrong thing necessarily, but can be very, I know I find that so frustrating where like, she did great, she did a great job and she do this and she lovely kids and haven't, you know, and it's based on the assumption that you're able to receive that, um, those blessings or access that gratitude at the time. And a lot of the time it's that you're like, well, actually I don't think I deserve any of that. And so really what you're saying is now just actually making me never want to talk to you again. Um, and so just, as you say, to be mindful of who those people are, and they might be actually very different people at different times, aren't they? Where you kind of, I'm just now going to go down that person now, because look, I know they mean well, and then I'll end up like feeling I have to oblige their kindness. And and it's all, you end up all um, almost, um, what's the word? You're conflicted in your own then, because you're performing now and doing the thanks a million. Yeah. And your heart is broken or you're tormented and you just want to get away. And so being again, mindful, and as I say, it might be, Eileen, that you're writing these people down, even that, like, where's the book, but who else should we be talking to now? And it might be that. And, you know, again, with the wanting to fix things so uh, straight away for people or, you know, be talking about things maybe all the time. It might just be that, like, if you have the most bizarre way of writing stuff down or looking at stuff or keeping track of stuff and that's what works for you, maybe everybody does need to know about it and you just tap into it when you need to. And if it gets you, as you say, past that hour, past that day, great. Do you know? Brilliant. Thanks, Millie and Lorraine. Eileen, I know you wanted to come in as well, did you? Uh, just so one add-on to, um, to Nikki and Lorraine's point. Just I'd written down hand, heart and hand, hand, head and heart. So I suppose when I realise when I don't want to talk to someone or if someone doesn't want to go to an appointment or something, um, I have to do something that's good for my heart. So that would be especially if I don't want to talk it would be you know listening to my favorite music I you know a playlist of you know sometimes it might be an angry playlist sometimes it might be you know it could be slipknot it could be you know I need to listen to classical whatever it is to help you and also I'm a big fan of um cold water so I know not everybody has access I suppose to like maybe the sea or the you know a river near them but just a cold shower you know um honestly if you haven't tried it anyone just it makes such a difference um and it's something I suppose I realize in my own recovery um I would have said inverted commas you know from counseling and from all of that that I would have been in recovery but I wasn't in the holistic recovery because that's everything was still here it was still in the body and I suppose I, I definitely identify with that question. So some days you just don't want to talk. Sometimes you you just want to be and you just want to be at peace. And for me, that's just something um, I started doing the cold water dipping over the pandemic. And I suppose just to say as well, like I don't swim, I can't swim, but like I go in, in my life jacket and I just go in for a minute and come back out. And again, I know this might not be for everybody, but it's looking at kind of nonverbal ways of making your body at peace. Um, so just want to add that, Killian. Brilliant. Thanks, Millie and Eileen. I, I kind of want to go on to the barriers and challenges with uh, personal recovery, but there's just a comment in the Q&A again about clinical. So I'll just read it out. So this is the main thing that pres- presents a challenge to clinical recovery. Also, we agree that another barrier could be not believing it's possible or that I can do it. So I don't know. Does anyone want to come in on that or will we move on to the next question? happy enough but i do i think that um yeah. chime Thanks is really important there because uh and that's that's where we come in well i think aries comes in very well because the fact that all the facilitators have a lived experience of mental health struggles of their own and we tell our our own story within those workshops 
you can see it, you, you know, with, with a lot of the time in every workshop, you can see it in at least a couple of people, that light bulb, like, and, and it does give hope, like, so I think, uh, you know, recognizing that this has happened to somebody else or something similar, like, you know, oh, she's been through this and she, you know, she was able to do this, this and this. And, but at the same time, she's being honest about it. And, you know, it's not all like that toxic positivity. Um, and, and I think there's a few comments there about about support as well and, and not being able to find that support. And that's where I think you can turn to support groups such as GROW, where I think peer support is is so powerful. Peer support from people who are just not going to judge. They're just going to listen. And it's not necessarily a psychologist or, or a psychiatrist. And you're just going to meet with somebody who's like that sounding board. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger than it is to your family member or friend or whoever. So I think, um, I don't know if I've answered the question. Barriers, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Nikki. Uh, we'll move on to the next question, if that's okay with everyone, just on the potential barriers or challenges to personal recovery and mental health, if any. So Eileen, will we come to yourself? Will that be okay? We'll go to Lorraine then after that. Um, I think for me, Killian, I suppose when I just think about my own life, a lot of times it was me and feeling, I suppose, I, I keep going the head and the heart. It was like, you know, okay, I, I, I know the reasons. I'm in recovery from this. But sometimes it's effort. If I When if I think about, um, I suppose, personal recovery, it requires action. And a lot of the times, I suppose, in my own life, I kind of thought, well, I'm doing the action. I'm doing the therapeutic work. But I was forgetting, like, you know, those other actions that keep me happy. And I suppose it's funny, I was thinking about um, this webinar and I was actually thinking for me, clinical recovery is almost like, you know, you have like a rose, it's got like black spot, it's got like different kind of things going on with it, but it's it's in the weeds. And to me that the weeds are like the personal recovery. I realise the soil has to be clear for growth um, to prevent disease. You know, the personal recovery, it does take work. <laughs> And for me, sometimes that work can be exhausting and that can be a challenge. It's like I know I have to work very hard maintaining my mental health or I potentially could, you know, be back, you know, in a depressive episode. So for me, the, I suppose the challenge um, is always constantly doing the work and that maintenance piece. And sometimes it's enjoyable and sometimes it is not. <laughs> um, but it's and it was it's a question I constantly am. Um, reflect actually when I'm in the the APUs when we do our own reflection is that piece and for me it is action and sometimes it, life can be tiring and exhausting like Lorraine said you know can be tough out there so if you're doing this work and you're doing all this work and you've got all this knowledge and you're trying to bring you into the world and you're not receiving that as well, it can be a challenge as well, because you're working on yourself and maybe other people aren't working on them themselves. Um, so it's constant and that can be absolutely exhausting, Killian. <laughs> so I think that is has been a big challenge, ongoing challenge for me. And more more I realise I need a lot more time on my own. Um, I suppose, and I suppose that time, it's time in nature, it's time writing, it's painting. It's, you know, by the river, it's time with the dog um, to counteract all those barriers. Um, so I hope that answers the question, Gillian. Absolutely. Thanks again, Eileen. That's excellent. Um, Lorraine, have you any thoughts? Um, 
I suppose just again, just picking up on what Eileen said about um, just just because it's in my head, the cold water again. And I don't want to be the, you know, the almost like the the other side of the the I suppose the holistic conversation, but the evidence based around the use of cold water for regulating for the whole, like if you want to get to the science of the amygdala and all of that kind of stuff, it is powerful. Like, and again, it's a sensory thing. So when we move away from words and articulating and talking and all of that, which is powerful, of course it is. But there are times, like you say, and it might be it might be that cold sensation. It might be the pounding beat of, you know, like, again, going back to Eileen, talking about a difference between maybe Slipknot and some other music. There's a place for both. I think, you know, sometimes in mental health, it's about, you know, let's talk it out and let's work it out and let's do all of that. And of course, that there's a place for that. And for some people, that's very easy and it's easy to find the words and say and articulate everything. And for others, it's not as easy. And so sometimes to be able to even just access the feeling, which, as I say, be it the cold water or be it music or something that is sensory or tactile, it can be as beneficial sometimes than having to think about what am I going to say to this one now when they ask me how I am and I don't want to say I'm having a bad day and, you know, all of that that goes with it. Um, and I suppose that there's nothing in, there's nothing one over the other. I think there's no one thing better than the other necessarily when you know what what your collection of things for you are. And again, I'm not sure that I just answered the question there, but I just want to go back to the cold water thing because I do the same, Eileen. And it is power. I mean, you know, even I follow this girl who does it. She set herself a target to do a, um, a plunge every single day for like a month. And she said the sole motivation was because I don't want to do it. And so to do it every day was like an achievement in I, I did it today again. I did it the next day. I did it the next day. Um, and not least then all of the obviously, as they benefits from point of view of wash that does for our brain and our um, ability to regulate ourselves. So it's, it's powerful. Brilliant. Thanks, Lorraine. Uh, Nikki, do you want to come in on the barriers? Yeah. To personal, yeah. If, if, uh, any thoughts? I think I would definitely agree with the two girls. And um, on top of that, I think that culture, cultural and social conditioning is a huge barrier. And Lorraine mentioned it earlier. I'm just going to plow on like that mindset and just plow on like, oh, sure, you only have two kids and a part time job. Just plow on like what, what would be wrong with you? Why, why can't you? You know, why are you finding things tough? As Lorraine was saying earlier, all the things that people say, it's, it's social and it, you're, you're being bombarded with it through media, social media, you know, your friends, family, things people say, well-meaning people. You're constantly being bombarded with this condition in that you just need to plow on and, you know, taking rests and taking time out is for lazy people. And, you know, all that kind of condition. And I think that's a huge barrier to personal recovery because we can start to believe it ourselves. Um, And another barrier, I think, is not placing full importance on all of the pieces of the puzzles, everything. The holistic view, as one one of the questions we got in earlier, the whole thing, the whole picture, all of your dimensions, as Eileen said, your social, your physical, cultural, uh, um, spiritual, all of your wellness dimensions. And as well, just to say, for me, the biggest key for my personal recovery was and still is self-awareness. So I think if you're if you if you can be aware of what you need and when you need it, that is that's I think that's the biggest piece for personal recovery. Excellent, Nikki, and it ties nicely into the final question because I'm looking at the time and we're kind of a couple of minutes uh, left. 
So I'm just going to throw it out. And I know this stuff in the Q&A that I'll get to towards the end as well. Um, what piece of advice can you give to people to help sustain their progress on the recovery journey? So again, we've kind of dipped in a little bit on it throughout the questions throughout. So what can help people sustain their progress going forward? So I'll just open the floor if anyone wants to come in. Hi, come in, Killian. Thanks, I'll be quick. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is to make a plan. Um, something I did in the last few months is even my work diary. I actually plan what I'm doing in the evening just to have balance in my life. So just to say that I am more than, you know, I'm more than my work. I'm more than the role I have in life. So I plan, let's say, I'm going for a walk this evening. I'm going to a gig Saturday just to make life as broad, as enjoyable as possible and to plan. I wrote down space, you know, allowing space for yourself to nourish your own soul. So whatever that looks like, um, you know, and I suppose we we were lucky enough to do a workshop in the community a number of weeks ago. And just a person said that they started to implement that. Do you know, from the workshop they did the second week that actually they sit, they sit down now at night before they go to bed and they actually plan what they're going to do the next day. And just to see the difference in that person. So I suppose that would be my advice, Killian, just to because before when I didn't plan, I ruminated anxious depression. So now I plan and also allow, um, allow time for joy. So thanks, Killian. Lovely. Time for joy. Love it. Thanks, Eileen. Lorraine, would you like to come in on that one? Um what can help people sustain their progress on their recovery journey? Um, so it's a simple word, honesty. But as you say, to achieve that and how we achieve that, that's that's the crux of it all. Like there are, you know, it's about being honest with yourself and checking your own self-talk because that's 24-7. So if you're going to say to yourself, like we're saying, and again, going back to Nikki, picking up on the social stuff and that noise that is out in the world, be it through our phones or be it through our family dynamics, work relationships, whatever, you know, we all assume you're nearly waiting for this day where I, I, I know I spent a long time waiting for this day where I was going to wake up and be mature and I was going to have it all together. And I was going to be that person that I thought everybody else was, you know, God, that girl, she's fierce together now and she looks great and all of that stuff. And that's my own self. Nobody was saying that to me other than myself. And so the, again, honesty around, you're not going to have a good day every day. Nobody gets everything brilliant. All like You can tell yourself that, but it's not true. The people who live in the biggest houses with the biggest jobs, everyone has their own issues in some shape or form, but it doesn't matter because it's not going to affect, it, if it's not affecting me directly, why, why am I spending time talking about it? So bringing it back all the time to yourself and to be, and again, I suppose, allow yourself to say, well, I'm actually, no, like, I'm not going to go to the hen because everyone's like, again, it's just something that came up my own brain. I didn't go to my husband's cousin's hen recently because I'm like, I don't want to go to Killarney and walk around Killarney in four pubs and, you know, do all of that because I don't drink and I'm just not going to do that anymore at 42. I rang her up. I gave her my look. I said, look, Amy, you know, you know, I love the bones here, but I, I just don't want to do that. And you have this surge for a second of like, oh, God, this is horrendous. I'm the worst in the world. And sometimes it's about to sit with that for a second. It'll pass. And the first time you do, it's probably the hardest. And then, you know, maybe shifting your boundaries a bit with people, teaching people how to, I won't say treat you, but how you are going to maybe be in things, you know. But it's all honesty in whatever way you achieve that. It's, it's honesty, I think. 
Excellent. Thanks, Lorraine. I see uh, Nikki nodding and Eileen, her head there. If Nikki, do you want to come in on that? Point? I totally or agree. Yeah. I love how Lorraine didn't make up an excuse to not go to the hen because that's what we do. You know, I have somebody in my life, I won't say who, who'll say, I'll say, I don't want to go to whatever that thing is, let's call it a hen, at the weekend. And she'll say, what could you say now that you have on? And, I, and I'll just say, I'm, I'm not going to say I have something on. I'm going to just say that I, I don't want to go because, you know, or, or just no, I don't need to give a reason. I don't owe it to people to give a reason. Um, so I love that. Um, my advice would be to change how you view failures. Failures are something that you learn from. They're certainly something I've learned from. I've done a lot of courses and whatnot over the years, trying to refigure my career, all these kinds of things, and things have failed. But but they weren't failures. They were they were things that I did, and I learned a lot about myself through that. Um, so it's that self-talk as well and kind of saying to yourself, um, you know, I, I, I did something. I did something there. However small it might be, I did that. I'm great. I did that thing. I did something this week um, and celebrating all those little things that you're able to do in your week. And then the second thing is I've written down here for, oh, yes, for me, my biggest um, thing that sustained my progress and still does is that I I'm not much of a journaler. I'm trying to get into it. But I do reflect on when I have a dip and in the past when I've had a dip, however bad or subtle it was, I have documented it. I've documented what went wrong. Uh, uh, why didn't I get out of it sooner? And I, I just really heavily reflect on what happened in the lead up to that. Why did that happen so that I can learn from it going forward? And, and what I found is the dips get smaller and shorter and less severe. And that's my two, two biggest. And having a toolkit. All the things that Eileen said, I won't go into detail, but having, having that toolkit of stuff that you can just delve into. Brilliant, Nikki. Thanks, Willie. I think even for what Lorraine captured earlier on, it's leaning into different skills and Eileen as well that you can do in the moment that work uh, for you because we're all individual with every, everything. Things work differently for every one of us. Like So that's uh, that's what I got from that. So that's brilliant. Eileen, I know you're putting stuff in the chat there. If you put it to uh, panel, or the attendees, just share to attendees and the feedback form would be great as well. Much appreciated. And if I'll follow up with the on the learner pack with anyone that's put in the chat as well make me co-host killian just to do that yeah we'll do we'll do no bother at all um so we're coming close to the end i'm just going to share the the slide just on upcoming events and i just want to say thanks to the panelists so far absolutely brilliant insights so hopefully all the attendees took something away from today's discussion and i also had to go to the q a so i'm just going to read out a few of um there's one here. You're very articulate and as all the panel are. So thanks a million. Uh, so there's a, qu- a comment here. What happened happened for good. So love that. Excellent. So that's brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just going to share the upcoming events from Midwest Aries. Give me two seconds now. Press share. And the feedback form will go into the chat there in a second. And we can. So just with the upcoming events. This is June's timetable online timetable so we have managing well-being mental health recovery tomorrow and then we have creativity for well-being next thursday june the 8th and then a resilience at the end of the month so if you want to book onto any of our workshops you can book on eventbrite so the website is there and the qr code as well so we have our co-production conversation exploring trauma this is the online version so this is on the june 7th from 10 a.m to 12 p.m and again if you need further details you can email me at killian.keen at hsc.ie and i can send you on the poster all in uh, information on that going forward then we have workshops in nina 
face to face and Kilmallock Library. So the first one in Nina is the self-care series. So it's June 13th, 20th and 27th. And then in Kilmallock, we have the creativity and journaling for well-being workshops. And they're all in June. So this webinar will be recorded and put up on YouTube YouTube over the coming days. And it will be also on our uh, Anchor FM podcasting streaming service as well. So it'll be on Spotify and all those as well. And this is just Claire Flynn's details for Mental Health Ireland because they partner with us with the webinars. And a big thank you to all the support for Mental Health Ireland on the partnership over the last number of months with all the webinars. So, and that is that. So I'll pass it over to the panelists just because we're coming close to the end. If you'd like to just wrap up and say your goodbyes or anything you took away from today's webinar. So Eileen, you might come to yourself if that's okay. Thanks a million, Killian. Yeah, I really enjoyed today's discussion and it's it's just lovely to hear, I suppose, everyone's opinions and also to hear the questions. Um, and I suppose it's just a reminder, actually, that we are head, heart and hands and just to remember that and all of it needs healing. So, yeah, I really enjoyed today, Killian. Um, and if you could make me co-host, that'd be amazing. I can put in the link. Thanks, yeah, Killian. we'll do. I'll actually put it into the chat, the feedback form there, I mean, so there's no panic. Thanks a million. Lorraine, we might come to yourself, just say goodbye and a wrap up as well. Thank you. Um, similar. Look, pleasure. Thank you so much for actually even asking me to be here. It's it's a pleasure. And it's, um, again, I think all of these organic conversations, there's such power in them because you don't know what one thing somebody hears and go, actually, geez, now that you say that, or, you know, that just sticks with somebody. And so it's just been, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks, Melinda Lorraine. And thanks for taking the time out of your busy day. Much appreciated and for sharing all the knowledge. And Nikki, we'll come to yourself. Um, yeah, I just want to say thanks to the other panellists. It was a lovely chat. And um, the things I took from today are generally honesty um, are, is key. Honesty and uh, that it's not linear. Clinical and personal isn't linear. The recovery and it's just a constant improvement. It's not like one day you're completely better. And um, the holistic, the holistic approach, I think, is definitely important. So that's what I took from today. Lovely. Thanks a million. So we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll bang on time, more or less. I just want to thank all the attendees, the panelists for joining us today. This will be up on YouTube over the next coming days, but you'll also get a learner pack with the links for everything over the coming days and resources and the links that I've been put in. I'll put them in the learner pack and the feedback form. So we'll leave it there. So thanks a million. And we'll chat to you next month at the next webinar. So see you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Midwest Aries in partnership with Mental Health Ireland. You can find us across all social media platforms at Midwest Aries. Thank you and see you next month.